Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. And you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper-competitive markets and you're in these markets that are frankly gotten a, less, a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. Welcome back. We're on the Texas Longhorn Positional Marathon. And when I say we, I mean me and Ian Boyd. Ian, thank you for joining me. What's going on, man? And, and Jonah also. Is and also. Who? Oh, yes. Ian's three-year-old son, Jonah, is crashed out. Like He looks like one of my fraternity brothers when they're hammered, sleeping on their futon. But this is all just milk and exercise and three-year-old energy expending. And he is crashed uh, right next to Ian. Very cute, uh, very uh, handsome young man. Obviously, you got to be thankful for the wife, Ian. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, man, we're going to talk DBs. We're going to talk defensive backs. And interesting thing about this Texas defensive back group, I think they have the potential to be, well, look, I'll say this. I think they're going to be good. The question is, are they going to be very good or are they going to be great? And I think that is in play. I think great is in play, not because they have the crazy Thorpe award winning super elite dudes that sort of where the hallmarks of Texas secondaries passed. But I think they've got a bunch of guys who are going to play in the NFL. And if you get enough of those guys, you kind of end up with an aggregation of defensive back play that's bigger than the sum of its parts. I think you call it the, you've called it the rule of three, which is you need three guys, at, at least three guys in your secondary who can really cover. Can you, can you expound upon the rule of three a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the very simple version. There's a very nerdy technical version. Oh no. That basically I'll, I'll see if I can do this succinctly. It basically just amounts to if you have three guys, if you're two corners and either your nickel or your field safety can turn and run and carry a vertical without help, then you're going to be okay. You don't have to have all three do it at the same time but you want all three to be able to do it at times. And that gives you a lot of flexibility to outnumber the run, to double troublesome receivers and so on and so forth. If you don't have at least three guys though, that can do that, then you just become very susceptible to motion or being formationed into bad matchups or, or whatever else where you just end up getting just your hands completely tied. You really need at least three guys to avoid that. That's that's how the rule works. I like that. I also like that with the corollary to my own rule of defensive backs, which corresponds to my rules about offensive line. 
don't have anyone that's below average. Mm -hmm. if, if you have two elite guys in your secondary, a good guy, an average guy, and a bum, yeah, you're going to have trouble even with all that, you know, these two dudes who are going to go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. And, and it's confusing, but just as with the offensive line play, don't have a bum because it messes up everything. Because in some ways, defensive back follows a lot of the same principles of offensive line. You know, cohesion is important. Communication is important. Experience, critically important. Yeah. Be having an assertive guy on either line, hopefully your center, hopefully a safety, being very loud and communicative and assertive. You, get over there, get over there, get him. If you don't have that guy, you're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some trouble because a lot of being defensive back is just sufficient athleticism, communication, and kind of understanding he's passing me off, right? You know, this guy is telling me with his eyes and how he's guarding this guy that he's passing this guy off to me and he's going to go run up in the flat, right? You just have to be able to know that uns unspoken. And it's beyond just the scheme. Yep. I'm curious, we can either do this now or at the end. Where do you expect to rank this among some of the great Longhorn secondaries you've seen? We're going to have to do this at the end. Okay. Because I think discussing the reality of Jalen Catalan and his health right is a big component of this as well as the the cornerbacks particularly who are very promising and very deep depth is great but if everyone's pretty good right it's it's duplicative depth depth we kind of need a guy or two to break out in addition to having other two other guys who are pretty good so let's put a pin in that and revisit it at the end because I, th I think it's a great question let me ask you a question in the Big 12, or nationally, is there a particular group of DBs that you think are really good that Texas should be aspiring to match or exceed? Hmm. I, we both have the Big 12. I think we're on the same page with the Big 12 and how they look, which is that Iowa State is up there, but not. I don't think they're on Texas's level. And they don't really need to be because that's not how they play football. Yeah. Um, TCU is very close as well. They're in a similar spot where they need one of a couple of really promising guys to be their second corner, and then they could be kind of close to Texas. Um, nationally, man, I'm trying to think, because I've been going through all the national contenders and trying to note the teams that have like, really great secondaries. I don't know that I've noticed any like knockout secondaries nationally yet. Yeah. I don't have one that necessarily springs to mind. I'll say that uh, Penn state and Michigan in your neck of the woods should have good secondaries. Yeah. Michigan is uh, trying to find that second corner, which is I, their second corner. He's not going to be a bum, but he may not be, Last I heard, he may not be like, like if they could find a Ryan Watts, I think they'll be happy. Very happy. 
Their number one corner is like an NFL guy. Their safeties are awesome. Their nickel is awesome. But the other corner is uncertain. Hey, you know who I know is going to be good at defensive back, sight unseen, with no studying? Uh, Georgia. And? LSU. Iowa. No, LSU is going to suck. That's going to be their team weakness, actually. Uh, amazingly, LSU, think about them. And historically, the weakness of their team is clearly going to be defensive back. And Denver Harris is not helping that right now, yeah, by the way. No. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, but Iowa, of course, we know that they recruit to that system beautifully. The, the sort of counterpoint system to what John Heacock does, they do sort of the opposite. It's all press. It's all getting in your face and, and just denying sort of any throw at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and daring you to beat them. And they're great at it. And they keep putting freaking guys in the NFL at corner. Penn State will be good, like you said, but they did lose Joey Porter Jr. They did. Joey Porter Jr. was really good for them. Penn State, here's the thing about Penn State that most people don't get, and it amuses me, particularly fans in the South or in, in Texas. They think Penn State is this big lumbering team. Maybe it's the uniforms. Yeah. I, I don't know. They're in Pennsylvania. They're Yankees. You know, whatever, right? They're freaks. Penn State's thing is not we're not athletic enough. It's they've got the athletes. They don't always play together or they don't always play smart. And they they also play a little close to the vest sometimes. Franklin can kind of get a little conservative. Yeah, turtle. Turtle up. But I want you guys to read Bruce Feldman's freak list. You know, he does this top 100 freaks in college football. Penn State has like nine guys on there. And they do every year. And they always, recently, they always have good defensive backs. So they actually have two good corners again. Alan King. Yep. And uh, who's who's the other one that's... Uh... Johnny Dixon. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then they've got a couple of safeties that are good. Jalen Reed and Keaton Ellis. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, arguably, they could be the best. I... Uh, We'll cut this tangent off in just a second. Yeah. But Penn State is amazingly situated where they can recruit the Western PA uh, super tough blue-collar kids. Yep. They can go into Jersey and get – there's like South Jersey has like this rich football culture. Yeah. Um, they can get kids around Philly. And they also are one of the top dogs in the hunt for uh, Virginia kids. Tidewater, Virginia. You nailed it. Which is also loaded with, it's like the South, obviously. But it's there's a, no, it's a, no SEC school there. It's, a, it's the East Texas of Virginia. It's called the Tidewater area. And they turn out tons of amazing athletes. It's the Michael Vick type dudes. And Penn State... Often we'll just own that area. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to UVA. <laughs> so uh, yeah, good point, Ian. So welcome to the Penn State Nittany Lion podcast. Uh, all right, let's talk about Texas. We kind of laid the groundwork. Sorry, uh, wait, wait, wait. Penn State's coordinators are Mike Yersuch and Manny Diaz. I know, isn't that funny? Yeah. Things go full circle. 
Okay, Texas defensive backs. Go ahead, please. All right, Texas defensive backs. Let's start at corner. Because I think that's a really interesting discussion. We, you mentioned Ryan Watts, the former transfer from Ohio State. He looks like a freaking outside linebacker standing out there sometimes at corner. 6'3", 210, very physical, good against the run, big hitter. Uh, I, I think people juxtapose that as if he's just getting worked as a pass defender. And in fact, if you watch the games, which you and I like to do, we're, we're Texas fans, uh, that doesn't happen. He's, he's quite capable in coverage, and he's good at using his length and his body. Uh, now, that said, he's the boundary corner for a reason. We, we don't want to leave him on the island on, on the field side by himself, right? But he's almost like a, the, the Jake Majors of the defensive backfield that certain people always have schemes to bench Ryan Watts or replace him with a more talented guy. Or and I, I just – sorry? We're to move him to safety. Yeah, right? move him to safety, which I actually can get behind. I understand that impulse because that, that may be his NFL career. but. Right. Uh, he's a perfectly capable corner, and he provides a lot for this team. Any any thoughts on Mr. Watts? Uh, not much more to add. He's very good. He's good at using his length. The um, I will say some of those safety-ish skill sets do matter because they can um, they can cloud him with a safety over the top. Explain what but, cloud is. Uh, cloud, cloud coverage. Is, yep. Cloud is where your corner is in like a underneath zone with the safety over the top. And so they may have responsibilities in the flat or in run support. Um, the Tampa two teams would do that. That's what they're the teams that are most famous for that is having physical. Who was the, who was the Tampa Bay corner that was so, wasn't it a, oh God. His brother was a running back for the Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber. Yes. So think Rondé Barber. Um, he can do that. They don't do that a ton, but he can do that. And then something they do do a ton, he's an effective blitzer off the edge. Yep. Bryce Young with notwithstanding. Oh, he had to bring that up. I also, like, to... I also like when you say do-do. <laughs> the nature of their scheme uh, – they they love those defensive back blitzes. Yep. And Kukowski loves them. The scheme is very very good at bringing them, and he's very very good at executing them. And it really matters. And and the reason you bring the boundary corner, he's because closer to the he's closer to the quarterback. It's either the boundary corner or the nickel, or the yes. sides the same blitz. You don't yep. yeah you don't bring the field corner unless unless you're Todd Orlando and you're, and you're <laughs> feeling a little. Because you're also bringing two safeties on a three-second delay right after him while you're dropping both defensive ends into zone coverage. They'll never expect it, Ian. Uh, I agree. I like Ryan Watts. Here's the other thing, though. We've got an, this embarrassment of riches at corner. And it doesn't end there. We've got – let's go to Terrence Brooks. If you listen to our wide receiver – podcast we mentioned who are the other elite wide receiver groups in the country we brought up the university of washington of course terrence brooks got the start in that game and did a hell of a job like really did a nice job and 
I think the light's turning on for him. I think people forget how young he is and, and was last season. Uh, but the talent is there. He's going to start, I think, at yeah, the field corner. Uh, he, but like Ryan Watts, he's a big corner. He's actually a big physical guy. He's not as big as Ryan, but he's six feet, 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's a big field corner. What do you see in Terrence Brooks? What do you like about him? Professional approach. His dad was an NFL player. His dad, if anyone didn't know, I probably said this last year, but I'll say it again. His dad was an A&M safety. Yep. There was just hell on wheels as a big hitter. Played in the NFL. And his dad coined the term wrecking crew. Yep. The defense back in the day. Chet Brooks. Chet Brooks, which just makes it all the more remarkable that he's a longhorn now. But um, uh, we won't we won't chase that rabbit trail unless unless Paul allows allows us to do so. But he um, something that stood out to me last year was that he gave up two or three touchdowns all on busts. Yeah, I think he was actually the guy who busted the play on uh, the Iowa State drop that would have beat Texas or Xavier. Yeah, Xavier Hutchinson's drop. I believe it was actually the exact same play and the exact same problem that would be busts against Baylor for an early touchdown and TCU for Quentin Johnston touchdown. Yep. Other than other than those, like busts, it's a freshman. Yes. I don't know why that happened so many times, but when your freshman busts, it's not that alarming. When he was not busting. He was locking people down. Yeah. Here's the thing about him. If that's just a thing he's got, a coverage tick, he can't resist. We've got other options. And let me tell you about two of them. Yeah. Gavin Holmes and Malik Muhammad. Yeah. So which of the two do you want to start with? I guess we could start with Gavin Holmes. I really thought he would start this year. Because I thought his Wake Forest film was very good. He's very fast. He can play press coverage. Um, I thought they would just play him to the field, play him on an island, leave him alone, ignore him, forget about him, erase erase the outside guy, and devote attention elsewhere. Um, which really just speaks to, I mean, he did that for two years at Wake Forest pretty well. So it really speaks to what Terrence Brooks must be showing in fall camp in this offseason that they're not rolling with Holmes, right? I'll, I'll tell you the difference between the two, and here's my wild crackpot theory of why they might like Terrence Brooks. I have no idea what you're about to say, so I'm like, this is good. Gavin Holmes matches routes. Uh-huh. Terrence Brooks steers the receiver's route. Uh-huh. And what were we exploited by repeatedly that I wouldn't shut up about all last year in my postmortems and everything I wrote third down, fourth down, third and three to third and seven, fourth down, you know, fourth and four to fourth and eight. And we give up a throw over the middle of the field for eight yards, for 12 yards, for nine yards, for six yards. And I think maybe the coaches don't want to give up safety depth to address that. Maybe they just want to have corners and nickels who can steer the receiver's route 
and say, you're not going to run the route that you want to run that you've got timed up with this quarterback. So let me, let me see if I can resummarize that for the listeners. Yes. And you tell me if I, if I got it right. Gavin Holmes is really good at sticking on guys. You go left. He, his recovery speed is such that he's, you're not going to lose him. Whatever you run, you're, you're not going to easily shake him. He's going to be right there to contest the ball or just to dissuade the quarterback from trying it. Um, but sometimes the quarterback could just try it anyway and a good throw, maybe they get it. Brooks is going to deny your release. Yes. He's going to muscle you off your spot. You're not going to be where the quarterback expects at the time he expects. He's not going to allow it. He's going to force you to take a, a circuitous route to get where you want to go, or he's going to just thwart the route where you can't do anything. Um, kind of like a, like in a basketball doing your work against a post defender before they get the ball. Yes. Do you let them post up two feet from the basket or do you make them post up outside of the lane? Yeah. Based on your early work. So most I've I've talked about this, the Rod Babers uh, who is really fun to talk to about defensive back stuff. And I said, you know, my theory is that all corners either do their work early or they do their work late. Hmm. And there's no better, there's good versions of both. You know, Richard Sherman, if he doesn't do his work early, he's in trouble, actually, against an NFL receiver. Daryl Rivas, he can do his work late, and he'll be just fine. Because he wants, he wants to sucker the quarterback into making that throw. Because he's, he's not beat. <laughs> he, he's about to make up that ground and grab the ball, right? So I think that Terrence Brooks has the ability to change routes. I think Gavin Holmes has the ability to match routes. And I don't think either is better or worse, right? I just think it's a question of what you want from the defense. And Steve Sarkeesian was very clear about what he wants on those third and fourth downs. It's going to be very interesting when they have – Ryan Watts is like 6'3", 210. And Brooks is, I think, 6'0", 205 or something like that. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how teams handle that. You know? Yep. Or like, does anyone have anyone fast that can just give one of those guys problems? Or is everyone going to get like bullied? Here's the thing. Styles make fights. So if Terrence Brooks is struggling a little bit, with a guy, a body type, put in Gavin Holmes. If, well, we haven't even talked about the fourth guy. The bewitching, interesting dude down the road is Malik Muhammad or Manny Muhammad, as his buddies call him. Muhammad is flashed, more than flashed. He's been sort of part of the talk of camp. If Anthony Hill wasn't around, we'd all be talking about Muhammad on defense. He, he was good in the spring, too, for the record. He, he, he was indeed, and he's put on good weight. He was very skinny when he came to Texas. I think he's put on 15 or 20 pounds. Where is he at now, do you know? I think he's in the 180s. And he's like 5'10"? Oh, no, no, he's tall. He's six feet. Really? Yeah, but long, like a long six feet. I've been in on him. His brother is so good. Yeah. Jabbar. Or wait, is that his cousin or his brother? I don't know, actually. That's a great question. 
Well, he's good. His family member is very good. He he gave worthy fits last year at Oklahoma State. Now he's off to Washington. Yep. Uh, probably for a, a better NIL opportunity. And uh, yeah, I apparently Nick Saban really, really wanted Manny Muhammad. Sorry about that. I've got a 30 pound golden doodle defending the house. Hold on one second. This meeting is being recorded. All right, we're back after a little coyote defense from uh, my 12 year old 30 pound golden doodle. She's, uh, she's a killer. Uh, she also looks like an animatronic teddy bear. But Ian, you were talking about Nick Saban really wanted Manny Muhammad. Yeah, that was pretty much it. He really wanted him. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Didn't get him. Um, I, for whatever, you know, Nick Saban cornerback eval is worth, which is probably something. Yeah, probably something. So the interesting thing, and, and I talked about this with Bobby not long ago, it's this. Muhammad and Brooks can play both field corner and boundary corner. Mm-hmm. Ryan Watts can only play boundary corner. Yeah. Gavin Holmes can only play field corner. I, Optimally. Yeah. I'm not saying that they'll like fall on the ground and start crying if you put them at the other position. I'm saying from an optimal perspective. You, you would lose some if Holmes played in the boundary. I would run at him if I was the opposing offense, right? Well, I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but like if you have him in press man and you're just like, don't worry about the run, the boundary safety will handle that. And then if the boundary safety is a healthy Jalen Catalan, then you're just fine. Yeah, good point. Well, so I guess the point in summation with these corners, and, and we could talk about the backups a little bit. They're working Warren Roberson at corner now? He's doing boundary corner. And nickel? And nickel. I think, Interesting. I think they think he would be a great nickel but that's kind of log jammed so they're like let's get him reps at boundary corner which is very similar for the reasons we outlined above you know what's funny is Xavier bryce is sort of the odd man out in all this yeah. on the, he's, he's on the three deep you watch him in the spring that is not a bad football player at all yeah he's not the guy that got torched on the malik murphy throw no no no, no. that was a walk-on but yeah Xavion Bryce is sort of a, a poor man's Malik Muhammad. He's got that same length. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think he can move quite as fluidly as Muhammad. May not have the same nose for the ball, but I think I think actually long term, I think he's a good piece. He's a redshirt freshman. There's plenty of opportunity for him to grow. So not only does Texas have four guys that we're comfortable putting out there in real games, like against Bama, we've got two guys behind them that actually have good futures. So it's pretty exciting. More on the way too. More on the way. You're absolutely right. More NFL pedigree and uh, yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about nickel. So for years, I kind of joked, first of all, playing nickel in, in modern college defense is difficult. You're asked to do a lot in most schemes. In Todd Orlando's scheme, I dubbed it the super nickel because basically you had to be the best run defender on the team. You had to be the best coverage guy on the team. 
you had to be able to play zone. You had to be able to play one-on-one -on -one, uh, and carry a slot up the seam by yourself, right? Uh, yeah. You needed to take on a linebacker. I mean, I'm sorry, a tight end <laughs> you know, who outweighs you by 60 pounds. Um, I got to say, if there was a guy that Todd Orlando would have liked in that role, it would probably be Jedi Barron. Well, he would have got him killed. He would have gotten him killed, but Jade would have tried. He would have tried. He would have. He would have gotten after it. He doesn't lack an aggression. He is outstanding. I, I heard um, his NFL draft grade it may be higher than people think. I think that's true. Uh, I think he has elite level quickness. Yeah. And and more importantly, he's willing to trigger on it. He will act on it. And you did a great job isolating a play against TCU. That was demonstrative of that. It was a it was a little re receiver screen that TCU was consistently getting five to ten yards on. Well, and he the, just go ahead. That was the one that Terry Joseph tipped him to. to yes, also. yes. But more importantly, he it acted won. on it. He triggered. Yeah. Right. A lot of guys sit and sit and sit and sit, and then they go. And that's a three-yard gain. When Barron goes, it's negative three. Yeah. And that's why he led last year's team in tackles for loss playing nickel, which is kind of bizarre. Uh, he also had two picks, uh, one famously in that OU game on the, the trick Eric Gray throw. Uh, he had a fumble recovery. He's just a really productive player. Interestingly enough, he didn't start the season. Uh, right. It was Jalen Gilbo. And then... Jade generally, you know, eventually took that over by what game three, game four? I can't remember. Tech. After after two drives by Alabama, where they feasted on perimeter throws to Jameer Gibbs in the flat. Uh, that's right. But didn't yeah. Tech ring up Gilbo a little bit too? Uh, probably. I mean, they. I think Texas had to play like a hundred snaps of defense in that game. Yeah, that's true. They also so played, everyone played. They played some dime a little bit as well. Yep. So we love Jade Barron's quickness, his athleticism. Uh, he'll trigger. He's a good pure coverage guy. Yeah. If you have Barron Brooks Watts as your up coverage, in other words, you know, if you think of the safeties as the yeah the back coverage, yeah. that's a good that's a good trio. And then you're intermixing them with. We talked about the depth at cornerback, the depth at nickel. It's ridiculous. Gilbo Sackville Baggins. Yes, Gilbo Sackville Baggins. Very good. Uh, Gilbo does not lack for aggression his own self. Uh, typically, those East Texas dudes are, are not soft. Uh, he played as a true freshman. He got is injured. See, East Texas or Golden Triangle? Uh, I just think of it all as East Texas. If, if you're right. east of Bastrop, to me, you're East Texas. <laughs> okay. Houston's freaking East Texas in my book. That's uh, but Gilbo's a sophomore now. He is recovered, apparently, and yeah. playing playing well. Yeah, um, playing great. And then they've got Austin Jordan playing there. Mm -hmm. Austin Jordan played real snaps against Washington in the Alamo Bowl and played well. Yeah. He's your third-team nickel right now. Yeah. They're, they're in great shape. And then Jelani McDonald is like – along with Manny Muhammad, sort of the DB talk of camp. Oh, well, along with Derek Williams as the true, I mean, this true <laughs> freshman defensive back class is sick. 
It's awesome. Yeah, it's, like it's a, ridiculous. Wayne like Aquina group. Yep. I without without getting too nerdy. Uh oh. The Jedi Baron's ability to play man coverage like a cornerback allows Texas to play split field coverage, which means they can have one side of the field play a different coverage than the other. Yes, that's really important. And yes, if if you're trying to confuse or muddy the picture for a quarterback at the college level, yeah, but not confuse or muddle your own defensive backs that's a really critical thing it it unlocks a million different things they can do they can keep the boundary safety focused on the boundary and just do two different things on either side of the field which is very confusing um they can also just still bring the boundary safety over and roll them over a little bit from their two high coverages they yeah, I, I we can't explain it all without being too nerdy, but Jedi Barron's ability to the, Texas playing a nickel corner is long overdue because it just frees up your team so much. Yeah. And it allows you to play, it also allows you to play bigger run stoppers at safety. Like you can play guys at safety that you maybe you couldn't get away with if your nickel wasn't a cornerback in skill set. You can play the instinctive four four six forty guy at safety, and not yeah. get not get harmed repeatedly because you've got that asset. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, I think that's critical. And then you've got Jelani McDonald, <laughs> freaking the the freaks and depth don't end. So. The question with Jelani, and the assumption was because of his size, because of his body, this is a guy who eventually be a linebacker. Well, if you have a six foot two, 210 pound, 215 pound nickel who can play nickel, play him at nickel. If you have Jalen Ramsey at, at corner at yeah, six two, two ten, you don't move him to safety because his physical profile says safety. If he can do cornerback things, you now have got a corner that's supersized and you could do all sorts of stuff with that. Yeah. I I do think he's going to end up somewhere else. He he could. Uh, the point is wherever he ends up, it's he's going to have traits that are remarkable for that position. Absolutely. I'm very yeah. curious to see how things go with him. I uh I at one point in the offseason I tried to find full um full game film from him to get a better feel for what his like innate skill set is. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I couldn't find any film. So into that story. Yeah. He was one of those guys in high school who sort of played win the game position. Right. He played quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back. Like he just did everything. He returned kicks, whatever. Uh, he did whatever he could to have Connolly win the game basically. And some people freak out about that because it's not a clean projection. To me, that's those are all value adds. It's all extra. It's Quandre Diggs. It's it's guys like that. Jalen Catalan was like that in high school. All right. Speaking of Jalen Catalan, let's talk about the safeties. He's very good. Yeah, he is. I I kind of fear falling in love. I know, right? I've seen uh, just a little bit from the fall of what he looks like 
and uh, it's, I mean, if I described some of it, people would be dangerously excited. All right. Well, here's the tempering of the excitement. Here you go. In 2020, he was first team all SEC and he's on several all American teams. He was, he was a dominant SEC safety. <sighs> the last two years, he's only been able to play five games combined. He missed eight in 2021 and he only played in one game in 2022 and it's a recurring problem with his shoulder uh they say that it's been rehabbed they're trying to be smart with him they're practicing him every other day what do you think i mean can the secondary be good without jalen catalan yeah yeah it can can they be great I Maybe. I say I say no. I don't think they can be great without him. The problem with losing Catalan is not so much. Jaron Thompson is really good at that position. He was good at it last year. Hmm? The problem with losing Catalan is the potential domino effect, where if you're like, okay, we're going to slide Jaron Thompson back into the boundary. Now, who plays the field? Keaton so Crowley, I he made a leap. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, that is why they cross-trained Jaron Thompson and Jalen Catalan, though. Yep. It's injury insurance. Yep. The other, most of the guys are like, so like BJ Allen projects better at boundary safety. Yes. Michael Taff projects better at boundary safety. I the, if if Catalan got hurt, the best move might actually be to just start Taff in his place and keep Jaron where he is to the field. Um, you're thinking hard about that one. Well, it'll really test our theory about not exposing your safeties because you really trust your corners and your nickel. Jaron moves fine. He's not a speed merchant. Right. He's I think he's a little faster than people think. I think he's quicker. I think he plays fast. He he ran like a four six in high school, like a true four six. Yeah, he's probably faster than that now. Um Taff runs better than people think. And he, he moves better than people think. He's more athletic than people think. We can get into the <laughs> coach on the field stuff, but um that's what's interesting. Taff and Keaton Crawford kind of represent a fascinating duality, right? Paradox. So Keaton Crawford is a guy who's very physically gifted. Uh, if you listen to the other podcast we did, I think the wide receiver podcast, for whatever reason it came up, he and Keelan Robinson are the gunners on the punt team. And the gunners are generally, you want very uh, athletic, very determined guys out there on the edge who can run and get past the blockers so they can get to the punt returner. Keaton Crawford does that. He's physically gifted. He can run. He's big. Um, you know, he's not huge, but he's 200 pounds. He does not seem to recognize well. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I mean, 
Maybe that's better this year. Is he, is that better on the boundary? No, the boundary has to be very quick thinking. Why? Please. Explain that. Well, sorry, I just got a piece of ice in my mouth. <laughs> that's all right. The boundary, you don't have to be as athletic because you're closer to the action. You're on the short side of the field. But um, you do need to think fast. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's the ideal position for Jalen Catalan, honestly. You are exposed to more contact, which is, you know, the concern with him. But it's all about quick thinking, guys. Like, you can be 4'8", and if you think quick, you can be excellent. You could be Ham- out Hamlet would be a poor boundary corner or boundary safety. <laughs> right? Sure. Always racked in indecision. Okay. Well, maybe you should read Shakespeare, Ian. You'll I, understand. I, have not, I have not read Hamlet. I need to you'll, read Hamlet. You'll understand the brilliance of my reference then. I saw The Lion King. Okay. Well, good job. It's it's just like the Lion King, Ian. I understand it's similar. All right. Do you do you understand the reference, sir? Yeah, he's got like the skull, right? And he's, he's, <laughs> he's thinking, he's thinking. alas, poor York to be or not to be, and all that. Uh, so Hamlet's the point of it is he's, he can't trust his instincts about what's really happening. Uh, mm-hmm. Did did his uncle murder his father? Did his father just die? And you know he's. You know, he sees his father's ghost and his father's ghost says, hey, I got murdered. And Hamlet's thinking, I, I must be going insane. So he's always sort of indecisive throughout the whole play. It is the uncle, right? Sorry? It was the uncle though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uncle did it 100%. Yeah. So Star. Star. Uh, let's talk about Jaron Thompson. We made a reference to him. You look at him and he doesn't scream freak, right? Somebody, you look at some of these freshman DBs. And you're like, holy Moses, this this guy is a freak. Where is he from? How old is he? This guy looks like a, a circa 2001 Miami Hurricane safety, right? Derek Williams, right? Yes. Jaron Thompson doesn't, well, Jelani McDonald, right? Even Warren Roberson. Uh, Jaron Thompson doesn't look like that, but he's a good football player. What do we like about Jaron? And what's his next step in growth? Hmm. He is a smart player. He uh, loves football. He had a press conference recently where he talked about having other defensive backs over and using the theater room to watch film. Um, he's kind of always been that kind of guy. We had a we had a tip from a former staffer with Herman that said something like, "Jaron Thompson is going to get recruited over every year, and then he's going to start anyways." Yeah. Because he is uh, all about the game and he's tough and he's not, he's athletic enough for sure. That actually makes him sound like he's not that great of an athlete, which I don't, I don't like feeding that because I think he's, like I said, I think he's a better athlete than people realize, but um, yeah, he's the, he's the consummate um, get to the right spot, make the right play kind of guy. If you have one of him, or Catalan, they should have a pretty good floor as a secondary and, as, and, and in the safety room. What about Michael Taff? 
Well, kind of the same as those guys, only smaller and a little less athletic. Yeah, former walk-on, third-year player. So I think people don't realize, first of all, he's got growth, physical growth that he's still undergoing. And this guy had legitimate FBS offers. He's, he's a, he was a walk-on at Texas because he wanted to be. That was not, that wasn't his, you know, only offer. He's not Rudy. <laughs> Some people try to portray this. Uh, he was really good at Westlake too, by the way. Uh, he was, he was a stud there. Um, he had 26 tackles last year, and he he drew the start against Kansas State, and Kansas State tried to run at him, and he did just fine. And I don't think anyone thinks Kansas State lacks in physicality. Teff, yeah, Teff is. He has a people think of him as being like the new Dylan Haynes. And they're very different players. Like Dylan Haynes was like a standout corner on the wall on the scout team. And they're like, we got to move this guy to safety. He's really athletic and good in coverage. Um, people didn't think he was very athletic. I think he had like a 36 inch, 37 inch vertical. He was pretty quick, but yeah. he was not an enforcer, right? They just play him deep and let him do his thing. Michael Taff is probably not as good as an athlete as Dylan Haynes. But he is the guy that like, like I heard a story where he got kicked out of a practice once for laying a guy out, trying to go over the middle. Like he is a, he has a, some tenacity and physicality that belies his, uh, his smaller frame and his cornerback at Westlake background. Yep. I agree. BJ Allen, this was a guy, honestly, Ian, that I'd written off mm. before. And you probably shouldn't write off uh, redshirt freshman. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I had is because he had a, a here's the profile, and here's why I'd done it. He had really high accolades coming out of high school. He was the man. Yeah. Then he got to Texas, struggled a little bit with his place when he didn't. Like he wasn't God's gift to the Texas secondary right away when he got there, gets buried in the depth chart and then puts on a lot of bad weight. That's typically a guy who transfers out and blames his problems on the program. BJ Allen decided I need to clean up my act, clean up my food choices, do the workouts. And he, I think what I've heard is he lost like 13 or 14 pounds. And he had a good spring game. He was very active. I think he led, I think he might've led like the secondary and tackles in that spring game. Probably. Uh, Better or worse, right? And yeah, exactly. But I think he showed something and, and I've heard good things about him. I think probably the issue that he has right now is that there's other options in front of him. So he may not be getting the reps that he wants or needs, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if you had, knock on wood, an injury at safety. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy who emerged late in the season. What do you think? I, I'll just say I would rather for a team contending for championships, you want third year or older at safety. Yeah. Ideally across the secondary. I mean, ideally across the roster, actually. But secondary in particular, and safety very much in particular, because there's so much to learn, to see, and recognize. 
that uh yeah give me give me the kid that had to figure things out over three or four years before he saw the field um he's not there yet but he's on he's on that trajectory yeah keep that in mind when we play alabama and tuscaloosa and they're starting true freshman safety caleb downs well oh no i'm saying he's gonna make some wow plays but we're also gonna target him probably yeah so uh, we're not targeting his lack of athleticism, by the way. We're targeting his knowledge of the game. Right. And real quick, I, you've probably said this in one of the podcasts we've done already. The five-star freshmen that can actually play and be really good as freshmen are like another tier entirely. Yes. Everyone always wants the high four-star and the five-star freshmen to play early. And they just usually it doesn't actually go that well. Yeah. It may seem like it goes well because they'll make the flash plays, but they don't know what they're doing. And it's hard to win championships with guys that don't know what they're doing. Go watch some old DeMarvian Overshone film. Uh, right? Yeah. When he was young. He had, uh, yeah. He, he, would knock, he, he would <laughs> knock someone into next Saturday and then miss consecutive basic run fits on inside zone and the ladder the, the trick with fans is that the ladder isn't always obvious it's not all they say is defensive line you gotta stop that right it's it's you you always sort of attribute fault upstream <laughs> typically the safety that's racing downhill at a bad angle to try to clean it up and then misses the tackle well that guy yeah. sucks yeah exactly all right let's talk about a guy who doesn't suck or at least he doesn't suck when he's running around a football field wearing pads he looks like some sort of another one of our freshman dbs who looks like some sort of greek god come to earth to grace us with their presence and that is Derek williams a big safety out of louisiana um i always laugh not to tangent too much here but when texas was sweating it over colin simmons and they should probably sweat it until December, by the way, because uh, that, that recruitment will never be fully closed until he's signed. But when Texas was sweating Colin Simmons, they were talking about, you can't let LSU come into da- you know Texas and Dallas and, and take an elite player. That's disgraceful, right? You th- That just shows you're not a serious program. Well, we've gone into Louisiana in consecutive years and taken the two best, the two, arguably the two best players in the state. Arch Manning and Derek Williams. Uh, Derek Williams is turning a lot of heads in practice, to put it mildly. And he's a guy, I mean, people say he's running around out there and he's a true freshman. And he looks like someone who should be in an NFL training camp. Now, that doesn't mean you go start him. As Ian pointed out earlier, doesn't mean he knows what the hell is going on uh, or how to, you know, cover mesh. <laughs> but I think it's just another name, another exciting physical freak who seems to like football a lot to add to the Jelani McDonald's, the Warren Robersons, the Manny Muhammad's. I mean, I, I don't want to get over my skis on this freshman defensive back class, but this is about as excited as I've ever, I've ever been. I'm talking about like, you know, since the Aaron Ross group back in the day. Yeah. Derek Williams, I think is going to be awesome. I was ecstatic about his film. I, so Two people that may be having regrets right now. 
LSU for inviting Texas to the SEC. Our guy Justin Williams, Justin, Justin, Williams, Justin Wells just put a <laughs> Justin Williams. <laughs> Justin Wells just put an RPM for Texas to land Dominique McKinley, a huh. five-year defensive tackle out of Louisiana. So LSU may not be so excited about that right now. And then uh, Brian Kelly, who let slip in the offseason that he had turned down Texas, that he could have gone to Texas um, and didn't and chose to go to LSU. He may have been doing that for recruiting reasons. Sure. But I, I've been suspicious in the last few weeks if Sark heard that and was like, you're going to, I'm going to rub this in your face and just take all the best players out of Louisiana. Well, I will say this. Uh, and uh, by the way, before them, uh, Jamon Tapp. So. I mean, it's been a lot. Terry Joseph is good there. That's part, yeah. of, that's part of it. Well, so the thing about Louisiana is I would be, I'd love to talk to Jerry about this and Justin, but you would be hard pressed to find a state that exerts more pressure on their in-state talent to stay home. Like if you can find a state that exerts more pressure, and I'm talking about a relevant state. I don't care about Nebraska, right? Louisiana, they give you the carrot and the stick. If you go out of state, maybe Ohio, maybe Ohio is the only one. Maybe, but you know what? Some of the best players in Ohio don't have the choice to go to Ohio State because Ohio State takes a Georgia guy or a Florida guy over them, right? Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, in particular, yeah. Uh, or Texas, as we've experienced. Uh, yeah. I will say the players that want to leave Louisiana really want to leave Louisiana, and I think there's there's something to be exploited there particularly for Texas because Austin's such a different place from Baton Rouge. And by the way, Baton Rouge has more appeal to certain guys in Texas than Austin. So almost Colin Simmons, almost Colin Simmons. Um, so, you know, I don't want to tangent off on this, but I can tell you two States we're not going to stop going hard after Louisiana and Arizona. Yeah. You're going to continue to go in there and, and pluck guys. Haven't been as active in Arizona other than one very notable exception. Well, we just saw our 2024 class has two Arizonans. Two? Who's the, who's Santana Christian, Wilson? Christian Clark. Oh, you're right. I don't know if you ever heard of the Bijan Robinson guy also. Yeah. Pretty, was... pretty big, pretty big name. Yeah. And your guy, Jake Smith. So, yeah, I, I think that's the interesting group. And we're leaving out our last guy, last but not least. Uh, it's Larry Turner Gooden. He's a redshirt freshman. I, I've watched Larry in the spring game. He was a guy who got out of shape, frankly. He didn't play a lot of high school football. And I think he was a recruit that had an elevated ranking beyond his act. I think his reputation exceeded his play. Uh conspiracy no just i think covid had some weird evaluations especially in california where they effectively canceled football so yeah, yeah. 
I think he came out to Texas. He was out of shape. Um, we saw him in the all-star game. And, you know, the, the, you know, you heard of like fat gear, right. For Gary Patterson, I was calling him fat layer. <laughs> like he'd clearly uh, hit the, the banquet or award circuit a little bit, but to his credit, he did get to Texas. He worked hard. He's gotten back in shape from my limited viewing in the spring game. I just don't think he runs well enough. He's also in that he's in that his ideal spot is boundary where we just said like four dudes can play. Gary can play there really well. Catalan, Taff, yeah. and Allen. And Williams could play there, but he's going to end up playing to the field. So, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough spot for him. But, so, you know, maybe as a fourth or fifth year senior in the future, he emerges and it's like, hey, this guy has been soaking up knowledge for five years and technique, and now he's I got to say, Ian, I say things like that all the time. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. It I, is I, It is like Oklahoma State or Kansas State, right? Yeah, but I feel like the Larry Turner Goodens are going to Oklahoma State in year three or four. Sure. If they don't see a, the clear path by then, right? And I just think the portal has changed in the extra years of eligibility and all that. I think it's just changed everything. Uh, This is, you may be right, but this is kind of a downside of the portal for a program like Texas where you recruit blue chips all the time. Yeah. You don't get that fifth year emergence, fourth year emergence. Russell Gus gas camp, right? Yeah. Yeah. I named an award after it, but finding legitimate contenders and winners for that award has gotten harder and harder. So some of that's Texas's play on the field, but also it's just these guys transfer out. You know, the guys who really don't belong go to Sam Houston State, right? Jeez. The guys who are just mischaracterized or can't catch a break or they had injuries or they're they're jammed up in the depth chart, you know, they go play, they go transfer to Houston. And, you know, Houston's going to have two starters on the offensive line who were former Texas players. Yep. Tyler Johnson and Jalen Garth. Yep. So, you know, you're, I just don't think you're going to see that patience because the portal enables you to be, it gives you an out. (laughs) You know, sometimes you're as faithful as your options. And sometimes the John Harris's are still at Texas because there's really not like another option. Uh, And then they have this breakout as a senior that's improbable, but I just wonder if we're not going to see those guys very often anymore because they used to be quite common. There's a couple of positions where Texas would, you may see them like uh, manufacture reps for guys just to keep them around in case that could happen. Yeah. You know who, you know who doesn't do that, Ian? No. Georgia. I, I don't know if if you're not. Uh, if you're in the two deep, you play at Georgia because they they're like our our second team guys as good as the first team guys. Just oh, right, right, right. Yeah. But the third team guys at Georgia, they all transferred out. I'm not sure if you followed their portal flow, but, but they, they, they they lost a bunch of their young guys and some of these like older juniors who quite can't quite crack it. Right. Yeah. College football is just full of those dudes. But they do play the two deep heavily. 
Oh yeah, no, they play they play their two deep. But if you're not on the two deep, right? You know, the expect expectation is you're going to transfer. And what we just covered to kind of dovetail on this and put a bow on this, we just covered a secondary Ian for the first time in a long time, where we're comfortable playing the two deep. Yeah. So where do they rank? Do you expect amongst the all-time Texas secondaries? Well, we're going to find out. And so I don't want to answer that preliminarily because I think oh, we're you doing teased, You teased it though. Well, I, I can't answer it because ultimately you have to do it on the field. And I need to see them. Uh, Ian's son is now snuggling up to him. It's like the cutest thing in the world. Uh, I just think that, I don't think that, you can start ranking these guys until after the season's played. You really can't. I mean, do I think they have, I'll say this. I think that the potential to be a very good secondary. Could they be number three? Oh yeah. Who's your number one that you've seen? I don't know. I got to be honest, man. I don't watch enough college football to have a, a really super informed opinion about every team in America. I'm talking about all-time Texas secondaries. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, could they be number three? No, 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 they can't. Because there's secondaries that predate even us that were like four NFL starters. It's ridiculous. How about, th- how about this century? Uh, well, so, I mean, look, you've got the Earl Thomas group. Yep. Right? You've got the, I mean, the Quandre Diggs group was very good. The most recent one. The 14, yeah. Yeah. There's Adrian Phillips, Quandre Diggs. That's probably what they're aiming at, more or less. But they, yeah. could, they, could, top, they could top that group. They could top that, that group. That group was uh, Jason Hall and Dylan Haynes at safety. Well, they also didn't have the depth. Yeah. Uh, I love the Deshaun Elliott, Holton Hill group that Orlando had. Yeah. They were very good. Really good. Devontae Davis. Jason Hall again. <laughs> yes, you can't get rid of Jason Hall. That dude started for freaking four years. Um, I mean, the 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 Aaron Ross group was just sick. Huff, all those guys. Um, yeah, can they rank up with those guys? Yes, but I don't think they have the super elite dude unless Jalen Catalan's healthy the entire year. Yep. But I, I think their, their depth is ridiculous, potentially. And so I don't, I'm not quite sure how to handicap that because, because what, what depth really provides you with, other than the ability to put pressure on the offense and, and play a lot of guys, is it just gives you a high floor. You're just injury resistant. Yep, which they were not last year. They were not. There were, there were drop-offs when we saw it, right? I think if uh, if Catalan is healthy, and if Brooks has made a leap, then you could be looking at one of the like a group that could potentially rival like the Earl Thomas or the Michael Huff or Aaron Ross groups. Man, Maybe. that's tough. Just because I saw them and I saw them do it at the highest level repeatedly. 
And I haven't seen it from this group. So if we're just talking potential, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but, if they don't, then well, this conversation will be forgotten and it'll be like, yeah, well, they didn't, they sure didn't make good on that. Well, I can always go back and edit the podcast. That's the beauty of this. <laughs> I'll, we'll redub it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll close the podcast. But like, well, any, all that said, we feel like this group will actually underachieve and probably really struggle, surprisingly, <laughs> against Houston and TCU on yeah, the road. Uh, and we'll just dub that in six months later. People will be like, oh, my God, these two guys are geniuses. Where, where do they find these guys? Yeah, you just can't rank in the top three of all time if you give up 200 yards receiving to Dylan Stoner. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, you know, one thing I will say that's, that's going to be interesting is I had kind of built up rice in my preview not as a football team, we're going to crush Rice. But they actually had a group of wide receivers that if they played in the Big 12 would be like Big 12 average or right below average. Uh, Bradley Rosner, McCaffrey, and then this guy Patterson, who was their number one receiver two years ago, then got injured and he was coming back. And then right as I'm publishing my book, and so I built this up as like, hey, an early thing you can look at when you play a bad team is don't focus on the overall domination. Focus on a unit matchup of our DBs covering their capable wide receivers, you know? And that's all ruined. As my book is getting published, Bradley Rosner transfers to NC State. Mm. And he's going to be starting for them, probably. And wow. then Patterson decides not to come back to football. Wow. So it's just McCaffrey less. So that whole thing is blown up. So we're not going to really know anything about these guys till they play Bama. Yeah. I mean, we may not know that much about them when they play Alabama. Oh, dude, Bama's got some. I mean, I understand Bama's on a relative basis. It's a weakness on their team, wide receiver, but they'll have athletes. And you, you mentioned in the, in the wide receiver podcast that Texas kind of locked up Washington. Yeah. Do you rather have Washington's receivers or Alabama's? Oh, yeah, Washington. Yeah. For sure. But, you know, a lot of that was also game plan and how you played it, and you weren't fearful of Washington's running game, et cetera, et cetera, right? You, it should have been a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a tad, actually. Yeah, maybe a little more respectful. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, bottom line, whether we think this is an all-time great group or just a really good group, I think a lot of the upside of this defense is pinned on these defensive backs delivering. Well, yeah, duh. How dare you? <laughs> How dare Can I not just be a color announcer on a Fox noon game and say stuff like that and have you agree? Can you just not like, can you sell my, my take a little bit? Yes, I understand I said something inane. You know, Ian, at the end of the day, football is about who plays better on any given Saturday. Right you are, Paul. I've said that many times. You're genius. Everyone should buy the book. I'm Joe Tessitore or Brando, Tim Brando. That idiot. How What? How are, how are guys that vapid still doing announcing? when we've got 
advanced statistics, football outsiders, all, you know, like this, these online communities that live and breathe football and, and trade information and become more sophisticated fans. That's a serious question. How do networks still get away putting out these absolute tools? How often do you venture outside your neighborhood and <laughs> talk to the talk everyday, everyday man? Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I don't know. I, I just look, I'm not calling like the everyday man likes Tony Romo doing color, right? Yeah. And he's, and got, you some, can, uh, he's got some flair though. Cause he'll like try to predict plays and yeah. But I mean, you can learn something about football watching him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't be fun. Like I'm not be Gus Johnson yell and go nuts and all that stuff. But like, can we just teach a little football and not just have these ridiculous platitudes? No. No. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ian. On that note, anything you want to add before we're out of here? Uh, that's it. All right. For Ian Boyd, for Paul Wadlington, and for a sleeping three-year-old boy on a couch in Michigan, Hokum, we're out. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours, and that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning, and right now he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up that, of course, the Thinking Texas Football Preview, the Burnt Orange Bible is still available at Amazon on Apple. And of course, at Smashwords, that's for you Kindle e-readers. Uh, you can download the MOBI version and it's a perfect conversion. Uh, hey, I really appreciate all the folks who have uh, gone ahead and bought the preview and of course, who have left reviews. If you're on the fence, if you got a toe dipped in the water, you're not sure if you want to jump in. Hey, do me a favor, just go to Amazon, enter in 2022 Thinking, Long Thinking Texas Football or Longhorn Football Prospectus or put my name, Paul Wadlington. The preview will pop up. You'll see 25 reviews as of July 21st, and you'll see that they're all five stars. If you go look at Apple, you'll see 14 reviews, all five stars. If you go to Smashwords, there's seven or eight reviews, all five stars. I think you get the gist. The point is, I think a lot of people enjoy it. It's the 10th time I've done this, and I don't think you'll get a better perspective on the Texas Longhorn football team, the Big 12, or the Texas Longhorn opponents. It's written with uh, hopefully some wit, clarity, and insight. And I uh, appreciate all of you supporting the Burn Orange Bible. Go out there and buy a copy. You'll enjoy it.